Alleluia, Christ is risen. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and upon those in the tombs bestowing life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. When we had read John 20 earlier, there was this um, moment where we see the disciples look in the tomb and they see, well, the place of death is empty. That's mysterious to us. And they walk away. That was Peter and uh, presumably John, the disciple of Jesus loved. Then we see Mary. She stays. She stands weeping. And she looks in and sees something completely different right? She sees two angels, one at the head and one at the foot where the body of Jesus had lain. Now, I've shared this many times, so hopefully it's review, but what she would see as she's looking in the tomb is the two angels at the head and foot of where the body would have lain. Now, in Israel's temple, in the Holy of Holies, there would be the sacred altar called the mercy seat, and two angels were on either end of that guarding it. And on the Day of Atonement, the blood of the lamb would, uh, actually things a goat, um, the blood of the sacrifice would be put on that altar. And so here we have the atonement sacrifice, and but the body's gone, the blood is gone, and in, but we still have here a symbol of the center of God's holy presence. Now, the Bible tells us that heaven has a temple and that Israel's earthly temple was a mirror of what the reality in heaven is. So here we have a shadow of the real thing, right? The earthly is a pale comparison. It's a shadow to what is real and even more substantial than we understand here. So the Holy of Holies is God. We see God in Revelation particularly. Uh, He is guarded by angels, And so we see the presence of life, the author of life. When Mary looks into the tomb, the place of death, she sees the throne room of life has penetrated not just that one little point where heaven and earth touch in Israel's temple, but is now infiltrated into all the world and sunk as far as death itself. So that even, this is how David Uh, rather prophetically can pray, even if I make my bed in shul, the place of death, behold, you are there. David hoped it. He prayed it. Mary saw it. This is the dominion. This is the reign of Christ. This is his victory. There is no place which has not been claimed by the Lord of life. Death tried to claim it. Death tried to claim it. We gave death power when we sinned. But Christ has come and said, Death, I am taking back my people and my creation. Now, what we see from Mary is we see, and and, and these accounts, which we've um, seen before, of the earthlings coming to the tomb to see what happened. They see... Christ coming out of the grave. 
But there was a whole nother thing going on before what the earthlings see. Because down under, and I don't mean Australia, down under in Sheol, in Hades, there was another reality happening. And so, uh, as someone had put it to me, um, I thought this is a clever analogy. It's as if one aspect of the resurrection is you're looking above water, and it's like the women at the tomb, especially Mary, are like above water, and they're waiting for Christ to come out. Oh, he's here. And she was amazed. He's he's alive. But there's also the story, if you go under the water, what was Christ doing under the earth? He said, like Jonah in the belly of the whale, so I will be in the belly of the earth for three days. What was he doing in the belly of the earth? He wasn't just laying there waiting for the resurrection. He was actually accomplishing the resurrection for us. So, um... I thought to really expand our appreciation of our champion Christ, our king, um, I would take you through a story called, this is, um, well, the, the, the author titled this story Anastasis. What is that? Resurrection. Resurrection in Greek. Excellent. Uh, he's titled this book Resurrection, Anastasis. It recounts the story of what happened when Christ died between death and coming out of the tomb. The resurrection was somewhere between his death and coming out of the tomb. Coming out of the tomb was the evidence to the people. It was the earthly visibility, but there was a spiritual reality before that. And that's what this story covers. Now, the story is not 100% accurately correct. And I only say that because we don't have a lot of facts about what happened. We just know that the Bible hints very strongly that Christ descended to the dead. Uh, It's so clearly put in scripture that I remember before I I refused earlier in my life to believe this. Um, So I resisted and I I danced circles to try to unteach what the text seemed to be saying. Because there are commentators that will do that for you if you want. And they sound convincing. Um, But it seems at the end of the day it's clear that Christ descends to the dead. Now... Most people reject this because what they hear instead is that he goes to hell. And when they hear that he goes to hell, they hear that he suffered the torment of hell. That he experienced what hell is. That is not what the Bible ever suggests when it says he goes down to the dead. He goes to the dead but does not suffer as the dead because death had no hold on him. He walked himself into the realm of the dead. Yeah? So he does not suffer what the dead suffer, but he does go to where the dead are to free them. Now, if that isn't the definition of resurrection, I don't know what is. He frees them from the dead and then he comes out as well. So that's what the story covers. So So just so that you guys can be guarded and not led astray. Is this story we're about to see factual? No. Yes. Not 100%. There's some creative license. There is, I know, I should have said, I I need to reorder my question. Let's start over. Uh, Is this story the truth? Yes. It's the truth. Is this story 100% factual? No. There you go, John. (laughs) Um... Now, it is based on facts, but there's a lot of creative license, so be aware of that. But this this author did a lot of research. 
he read a lot of what um, the early first century Christian writers were saying about Christ's death. So this is going back as far as we have commentaries. And he's also, of course, using what the scriptures say. So um, I would like to share this with you because it's just, it's a really great story. Now, if you were here last year and saw the skit that I performed, um, that was based, and I told you this at that week, but you wouldn't have made the connection. That was based um, in large part on this story. But now you just get to see the story itself. I just took it from the perspective of David. Are we good? Okay. Now, oh, I should have said this way ago. Um, unfortunately, the does not give me a landscape choice, so you got to see it like that, um, horizontal, vertically. Um, if you want to move up closer, that might be a good idea. Um, if you feel like you see just fine, great. I'm reading the words for you, but the the pictures might be what you want to see. So, if you want to take a moment to move forward, I don't mind. I will give you that chance. There's lots of room. I mean, I'm not spitting too much. <laughs> Just don't do what they just did. Okay, so just remember so you don't get lost. Hades is Greek and Sheol is Hebrew. They both refer to the place where the dead go. After Christ, the righteous go straight to his presence. But before Christ, all the dead went to the same place. Okay. Hades, Sheol. This is 40 days following the incarnation. An abyss of darkness in which the dead are cut off from the land of the living. We know go down into that abyss and we see these gates. The brass gates of Hades are locked shut and souls can't leave. Doomed souls are exiled to sit in darkness and to fearfully live in the shadow of death. Even though the righteous and damned souls are separated, they are both ruled by death. So you'll see on one side that what you would Jesus referred to as the Abraham's bosom, the ones that are not suffering as much, and then those that are suffering a lot more. Do I have the right slides? Yeah. Okay. In this pit of gloom and deep darkness, there is only misery and chaos. The dead try to eat and drink, but are never full. They try to recall happy memories, but only remember their sins. Demons roam free and never pass up a chance to torment the souls, the damned souls. And death sits on a throne of power that only grows stronger with every damned soul that arrives in Shoal. Death in the Bible is always personified. Read it again and you'll see they treat death as a person. One day, a glimmer of hope manages to trickle into the land of the dead. Oh dear. Oh dear. Okay. I won't zoom in then. A guy coming down. Kaboom! Ugh! You gotta, you gotta appreciate this pun here. Well, I'll be damned! You are a little older than the last few souls that came down? What's so special about you? I was kept alive for a long time to behold the Lord's salvation. The Lord abandoned us! He sent us here to rot! No, he has not. I've seen the Messiah and held him in my hands. 
I was tasked to translate the holy books and came to a line about the Christ's holy mother and how she would give birth to him and her virginity will remain sealed. I thought that didn't make sense. So I called her the woman instead of the virgin. And an angel of the Lord came, corrected me, and promised me that I would not see death until I met her and saw him. So I wrote, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his and shall call his name Emmanuel. He's not lying. I wrote those words myself. What's your name, young man? Oh, it can't be. Are you the great prophet Isaiah? I'm humbled. My name is Simeon. My job in the land of the living was to translate your holy writings and others into Greek. Yeah, yeah, spare me the details. I've had it with you people. You think you can come down here and bring your nonsense prophecies and expect us to believe you? Open your eyes. Don't you see this God you put your faith in is the reason you're here in the first place? Silence! This man brings hope. Why don't you make yourself useful and go fetch Daniel? <laughs> Simeon, how old was the Messiah when you met him? About 40 days old. 40 days, you say? This means we might be out of here in a mere 33 years. Or 33,000. Only God knows. My fathers, I have to be honest... It frightens me to think of how long you and other righteous men and women have spent in shul. Well, most days I'd honestly rather be in the lion's den than be here. But I know God hasn't abandoned us. Even in this pit, Simeon, we're still in God's hands. You see, we don't suffer like the wicked. They're in despair. But we wait here in hope for the life to come. And you haven't given up, even after hundreds of years? But those who wait on God shall renew their strength. They shall walk and not hunger. Psst, heads up. Isaiah talks and prophecies all the time. You'll have plenty of time to get used to it. And now we see Simeon walking to a private place to pray. Lord, it doesn't matter if we wait 33 years or 33,000, I trust that you haven't abandoned us. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared for all people. And so they waited. Time crept on, and with it, the hope that Simeon brought dwindled. Yet again, another spark of light arrived to ease the wait. My fathers, there's someone here you have to meet. Joseph, so good to see you again. It's good to see you too, old man. I take it you knew the Savior? Knew? I was his caretaker. I held him in my arms as an infant and watched the Creator's first steps. So, tell us, Joseph... Does the mother of God look like the king? What king? This king. Pointing to the figure in the corner. And we zoom in and see... The 
pains of death surround me. The dangers of Hades found me. I found affliction and grief. (sighs) I wish he'd sing a different song. We only heard legends of how beautiful King David's voice was when he'd sing. Songs like, Clap your hands, all you nations! Shout to God with cries of joy! Now his harp rusts beside him, and you can barely hear him speak. Well, the prophet Isaiah and the righteous forefathers kept a keen eye on the gates of Hades as God's plan for salvation unfolded. Finally... God sent them a loud voice of prophecy to ease their weight and clear the way. He sent them a forerunner. What was that, Addie? You were doing the sound of the person coming down? Yeah. Do it. Woo, boom. Woo, boom. Listen, all you souls of Hades. I am John, the prophet of the Most High. I came to prepare his way and to tell you about his plan for your salvation and remission of your sins. Of course, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the paths of our God. I saw him come towards me, and through the Spirit said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John is very enthusiastic. (laughs) I baptized in the Jordan River and saw the Holy Ghost descend upon him as a dove. This is my beloved son. Isaiah The righteous need to hear your message. Follow me to Abraham's bosom. Just to be clear, it's what we call the cave where we gather in. But you can ask our father Abraham for a hug anyways. Come with me. And so we see them sneaking past demons who are tormenting wicked damned souls. Run, run, run. They sneak past the guard. They get to the cave. Brace yourself. This might be a little overwhelming. Whoa! I'm only saying names once. Abraham, let's do this. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Job, the bald head, Jonah talking his ear off, Aaron, Moses, Miriam, Ruth, touching Solomon, Jeremiah, the little fly strip headed guy over there, I think. Uh, Esther, Rahab, Anna, Deborah, Simeon, and Gideon. This is where we collect everything we know about the Messiah. Here they have the cave walls mapping out everything that the dead prophets come and tell them about what God showed them. And so, unfortunately it cuts it off, but in a book you'd have the double spread. We have... Everything they've collected. So, big question. What will he do? How will he heal us? Will he conquer sin? How will he conquer death? And then we have a little diagram here. The Passover. And we have the lamb. And we have the altar. And then we have the story of creation and the serpent and man's sin and The rain for the flood and a knife and a lamb, probably for uh, Abraham offering his son. And then we have the wounded knee, which might be Jacob's wrestling with God, perhaps. We have a a little symbol of the Nile River and mountains, which probably 
points to their exile. I mean, their uh, slavery in Egypt. We have David's uh, Daniel. Daniel's um, bronze image. His uh, his uh, the statue of many, yeah, many uh, medals. Uh, then they're gathering things like, who is he? He's the seed of the woman. He's the rejected cornerstone, born of a virgin. Will be betrayed and forsaken. Will be called Emmanuel, man or God, king or servant. Called Emmanuel, trampling the serpent under his foot. We have the bronze pole with the serpent on it. We have a heart of stone and a heart of flesh. And I love this one down here. What's the deal with Melchizedek? <laughs> it's just really tiny font with a question mark. Melchizedek? <laughs> um, we have the family tree of Abraham and Ishmael. Uh, nothing else there. But Isaac and Jacob and Judah and Jesse and David and more. And... Where will he rule? Bethlehem, Egypt, Nazareth, Jerusalem? And then our little story of the timeline continues. You have the the crossing of the Red Sea. I think this is Gideon and his uh, mighty victory. And then we have the crown, Israel's kingship. And they don't know what to do with that. But now, I understand it's not very clear, but we're working with what we've got. Luckily, you bring an important piece of the puzzle with you. And they write in, the Lamb of God. The souls of Hades gathered around John the Baptist and listened attentively, some growing in faith and hope, others in despair. Enough! Do you people actually believe him? Only fools despise wisdom and instruction. Save it, Solomon! What makes you so sure that God even wants to free us from this hell? Isaiah, we don't know for sure. But that's what hope is. We just hope and trust that the Lord won't leave us here forever. Job says, Well said, Isaiah brother. We have to have faith. I lost everything and came close to turning my back on God. But he still restored me and turned my sadness into joy. Yeah, yeah, you've told this story a thousand times. No one has your patience, Job. John, listen attentively. As John comes out of the cave. Do you hear this weeping? Can you hear it throughout all of Hades? It hasn't stopped since we got here. And I have a feeling it never will. John followed the sound of the weeping. And found an old man and woman imprisoned on a pedestal. In what appears to be at the center of Hades. Just appreciate how old they are. That is a beard. <laughs> and that is hair. Yes, she's a woman. John. Who is this man? Why is he weeping with such bitterness? This is our father, Adam. And beside him is our mother, Eve. They weep bitterly whenever another soul arrives because they feel responsible. Addie? <laughs> they're crying especially loudly now because a little girl just arrived younger souls leave them in remarkable sorrow what is this place I'm scared little one it's going to be okay how old are you I'm 12 I just got here a few moments ago Jesus was on his way to heal me but it was too late 
I'm so sorry to hear that, child. Come with us. Tell us what you know about him and don't lose hope. Um, Have you ever heard of King David? Yes. I've heard a lot of stories about him. Well, I'm his great-grandmother, Ruth. You may get to meet him, too. After only about an hour of exchanging stories about Christ, the damned souls of Shul heard a voice like none they had ever heard. Little girl, I tell you, arise! The voice was was as powerful as it was full of majesty. It shook the foundations of Hades, and with that, the daughter of Jairus was snatched out of death's grasp. (laughs) And Ruth, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. Even so, the psalmist sat in grief, singing psalms of sadness, and Adam continued his bitter weeping. Oh, Lord, deliver my soul. I have grieved my beloved Lord. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on your fallen creature. Addie? God didn't stop sending signs. Like the son of the widow of Nain, who went down only for a few hours before he was called back to the land of the living. Young man, I tell you, arise. Even Moses, who had spent thousands of years inside the pit, was called up to meet the Savior on Mount Tabor, the Mount of Transfiguration, with Elijah the prophet, who had never seen Hades. The Messiah changed and shone like light. It reminded me of the burning bush. Someone tell Elisha, I saw his teacher with our Savior on Mount Tabor. A big plan is in the works, my children. We're close, very close. The following few weeks felt like centuries for those waiting in the pit. The righteous of Shul would ask any arriving souls about Christ and listen attentively of their Savior. Knew him? He was my friend. He would come over. My sister Martha cook would cook. She's like that. And my other sister Mary would sit and listen to him. Martha working, Mary listening. In about four days, Lazarus too was taken back to the land of the living. God was proclaiming that he had complete command over the living and the dead, over earth and Sheol. But Satan was as confused as ever. Lazarus, come forth. See ya. (laughs) Now this, you should know, is not anywhere in the Bible. Um, but it is taken from a historical document. Uh, it was, it's basically a novel, and it was taken from uh, this, this old novel and where they have this conversation between uh, death and the devil. So death is the cloaked figure on the right, and the devil is on the left. Death, get ready to receive Jesus. He claims he's the son of God, but he's just a man who's afraid to die. 
He was so terrified at Gethsemane that he was sweating blood. <laughs> you know that everyone on Earth is subject to my power, even the mightiest humans. But if he's the one who's been taking the dead from me, then perhaps he's not just a man. I told you, he's just a man. How can this weak human be God? Look, my servants are arresting him now. God would never empty himself of his immeasurable power and choose to become a mere man. You had better be right. The devil was unable to comprehend why God would ever empty himself and take the form of a servant. So neither Satan nor death understood who Christ was. Even though some demons experienced the power of Christ in the land of the living, they were forbidden to speak of it. What are you saying? Trying to say, are you mute? Speak up. And so Satan planned to unjustly kill Christ and hand him over to death. And Satan's form in the land of the living, and although Satan's form in the land of the living is hidden, he is visible in the person of Judas Iscariot, the betrayer. Christ was handed over to the wicked soldiers. Oops. Um, oops. I want you, you guys notice uh, Judas's shadow. I like that. So here we're, we're giving a portrayal in which death is personified, and the devil, obviously also person, um, and they are working together. So the, the devil's orchestrating events to kill Christ, to send him to, uh, to death. That death would be the Lord over him. The prophets felt these events as they happened and quickly clued in to what they had unknowingly prophesied. For even, in, for even the man of my peace in whom I hoped he who ate my bread dealt deceptively with me. Although he was ill-treated, he opened not his mouth. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before his shearers, so he opens not his mouth. All of creation, all of creation felt the Son of God suffering. The righteous experienced the agony of Christ as they heard the sound of the lashes. Crack! Be strong, Joseph. Even the wicked were able to hear the lashes. Even the damned heard the, his hands being nailed to the cross. Thump! 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 He will give his cheek to the one who strikes him. And he will be filled with insults. I gave my back to whips and my cheeks to blows. And I turned not away my face from the shame of spitting. They shall look upon me whom they, they shall look upon me whom they mocked. And they will mourn for him as for a beloved one. And they shall grieve profoundly as for a firstborn son. And David, of course, they gave me gall. For my food, and they gave me vinegar for my drink. Oh my God, my God, hear me! 
Why have you forsaken me? Christ then whispered, It is finished. And with that, he died. After a short while, everything went deafeningly quiet. Even the magnificent sun couldn't bear to witness the shame of its creator, and so it hid itself. Even in the land of darkness, a blanket of distinct blackness took over. Both the righteous and wicked souls were all together, for once, silent. A vaguely familiar voice sliced through the silence, one they had not heard this clearly in centuries. Rise, O Lord, why sleepest thou? As they pierced Christ's side to ensure that he was dead, blood and water rained down on Hades, drenching the once dry lands. And then all began singing together, Arise, O Lord, why sleepest thou? And you see this powerful picture of the blood of the cross flowing down into Hades and filling it. A wisp of light appeared from far and made its way towards the brass gates with alarming speed. When the guards of hell saw the Lord, they were afraid. I love this. Run, run! Get out of the way! And now we see inside the gates the light of glory glowing from outside. And King David marches up to the gates. And King David, lift up the gates, O you rulers, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall enter. Death, stay on guard, keep the gates shut. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, the strong and mighty, the Lord powerful in battle. Lift up the gates, O you rulers, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall enter. Don't let Jesus in. Keep the door shut. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And then we have a big boom. Boom. The gates are shattered open. And the whole color scheme of this story has been gray, red, and black. And now we have dazzling light. Crank, things are breaking open. Spring, locks and chains are being unsnapped. We see locks flying off, a demon raising his hands in terror. Death is sweating. Upon appearing in Hades, Christ demolished the gates of brass and smashed the iron chains. 
Just recall the beginning of the story. The gates meant no one can come out. Now the gates of Hades are no longer closed. Satan, you have deceived me. This is no mere man. It is God who has descended to Hades. Look closer. He must be Elijah or or Enoch. You're wrong. I have no dominion over him. His power is immeasurable. <laughs> Death no longer reigned in Hades, and its throne was no more. And so we got this beautiful throne. Crack! Demolished. Christ, release the imprisoned souls which have sought me and which you hold by force. Death, we see, coming to his end, falling to the ground. And then we see him chaining up the devil. The king of glory trampled upon death, seized the prince of darkness, and stripped him of all his power. And then we just have a couple of non-narrated scenes. Christ approaches the pedestal in the middle of Hades, where Adam and Eve are. We see him walking. And I love the scenes of his hands and feet having the piercings. So we see it's through his death that he's trampling death. He comes to the pedestal and smashes the staff into it. Christ then made his way to Adam and Eve and lifted them out of the pit. Adam raises his head with a weak hand. You see the chains on him, hoping to be released. And Christ reaches to touch him. You almost have that remake of, is it Michelangelo's picture in the Vatican, uh, the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican, of the fingers almost touching, but never quite there. And here, Adam, the fallen creature, but now Christ is pulling him out of death. And so we see that last illustration. He grasps. It's not just a little touch. He grasps Adam's hand. The chains fall off. Psalmists and prophets started singing in unison and saying, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and upon those in the tombs bestowing life. And there Adam and Eve are being lifted out while the chains are broken under his feet. The Son of God, shown in Hades as the Son of Righteousness, shines upon the earth. Come to me, all my saints, who were created in my image, who were condemned by the tree of the forbidden fruit, and by the devil and death. And so we see him pulling others out of their tombs. Through his death, Christ showed the way to salvation, not to, uh, to not only us, but also the spirits in hell. He descended and preached to those who had been disobedient. Now we have an allusion to that in Peter, where it says he went and preached to the souls in Hades. And he says, live now by the wood of my cross. The devil, the prince of this world, 
is overcome and death is destroyed. In other words, you don't have to serve this Lord anymore. And now we hear David singing, Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the highest. And Or that's Solomon, I guess. And now David's singing, I cried out in my affliction to the Lord my God, and he heard my voice out of the belly of Hades. You heard the cry of my voice. And Christ is leading them. And this is a cool picture. It's, it's Christ outlined and all the people make up his body. Christ resurrected and opened up to our nature the ascent to heaven, bringing himself to the Father as the first fruit of humanity. So as Christ can go up to the throne of the Father, if we are in him, we are given access to the throne of the Father. That's what Ephesians 2 says. We're seated with him there. So we have a picture of worship. And Adam and Eve in the foreground, well, uh, background for our angle, but foreground, the front row in front of Christ there. We have the, the, the babies and we have people praying. Yeah, it's cool. Um, and then our narrator's last few comments. While the patriarchs of old, the prophets and the righteous are no longer waiting in shul, we are. This is our application. This is how the author wants us to consider the story. We're waiting in a bottomless pit of sin, loneliness, addiction, and rejection. But our God, who is love, will inevitably descend into our longing hearts and conquer death. So while Hades is literally defeated, the free will we've been given can still choose to live there. And the simple message here is that if we choose sin, we choose death. This has been the message from the Pentateuch on. If we choose the teachings of Christ, we choose life. So what we've been given is the freedom to choose our master now. And that's what the narrator is encouraging us to see. That you have, if we do not have Christ's resurrection in us, we have death in us. 